Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Good. It's great to see your lovely, smiling faces. Um, I always say this, but I always mean it. It is such a privilege to just be able to share with you and to get your undivided attention for you know twenty odd minutes. Um, and I've I've just loved um, being in God's Word this week and just kind of mulling over what I wanted to share. And um, God is so good. He's so good. And everything that we've sung this morning so far, you know, you'd think maybe the worship leader and the speaker might have had a bit of communication. But no, everything that we've sung this morning has just laid the foundation for what I'm going to share and unpack with you. So that's, that's so good. So we're, in a, we're already in a great place. So um, my kind of theme is family this morning, but I want to call it the good father. That's if you want a title for this morning, it's the good father. And... Um, Family is God's idea. Mark said that when he spoke at Elizabeth Jones's dedication. That's what he started with. Family is God's idea, and it is. And we were created from community, from a family, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and they said, let us make man in our image. And we're created for community, for relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And family starts with a good father as we've been singing about this morning, our Heavenly Father. And those who don't know God, those who are not yet believers, or maybe some people who maybe know a little bit about God, they might have a wrong perception of who the Good Father is, or who God is. And, um, you know, even if we know more about God, we can still have a bit of a skewed perception that God is this guy with a big stick telling us to do stuff. But, he is our good father. And some of us mind it, might find it hard to view God as that because of our past experience with our earthly fathers. And even if we've had a good earthly father, we've only even seen a glimpse of what our heavenly father is like. So this morning, I want to paint a true picture for you of God as our good and loving father, as our Abba father, our daddy God. And all of this is straight from the Bible. Okay, this is not my made-up words, but this is straight from the Bible. And I'm not going to um, break it up by quoting all the scripture references, but I do have some, a sheet that I've done here, which gives you all those verses so you can just reflect on that and refer to that afterwards. Okay, so um, I'm just going to read out what the word says about the good father. So he is the good father who showed us how great his love was by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He is a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. He is a father that gives good gifts to his children and gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Godly children give him great cause for joy and he takes pleasure in his children who are wise. He loves us so very much that he calls us his children. He loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not die but will have eternal life. He is the father to the fatherless. He is a defender of widows. He places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. He loved and chose us before he made the world to be in Christ, holy and without fault. That's who you are, holy and without fault in Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born again. He gives us good and perfect gifts from heaven, and he never changes. He is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. 
He is a generous God who gives us wisdom if we ask for it and will not rebuke us for asking. Everyone who asks of the Father receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. He causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He is for us, so who can ever be against us? He did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. So won't he also give us everything else? He said to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. We have a good father. And that's, oh, that's not even, that's the tip of the iceberg. Um, have a look for yourself, what, it, what God's word says about himself as the father. We heard about this morning, um, Josh read Psalm 23 about the good shepherd. He's our good shepherd and our good father. So I want you to keep all that in mind while we just look at um, the parable that we find in Luke 15. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles... It's Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And uh, I love this parable. And it's commonly known, probably in your Bible, it might be called the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. Um, but I've, I've retitled it, and I like to call it the extravagant father. And um, this can become a really familiar story. If we've been a Christian for some time and maybe we've grown up in church and in, the, in Sunday school, um, we can know this. We know what happens. But there is so much in this one parable and much more than actually I can unwrap for us this morning. But um, let's, let's read it together. I'm going to read the whole thing out. So uh, if you want to follow it or if you just want to close your eyes and listen, that's fine. So Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked them what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he is himself back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And this parable is all about relationships. It's all about our perspective of the good father and our positioning in relation to him. The younger brother who becomes the prodigal son asks for his portion of his father's inheritance. And that's something which would usually come to him following the father's death. So really what the the son was saying, the youngest son was, Dad, I wish you were dead. In essence, that's what he was saying. And that speaks of the relationship they had already, but certainly from the son's perspective of that relationship. And the son then abandons his father and older brother to go and seek out his own life, to do things in his own terms, his own way, without thought or responsibility for anyone or anything apart from himself. It was a completely selfish move to make on his part. And as you know from what we've just read, it doesn't last for long, does it? And it doesn't end well. The son comes to a realization of what he's not. He's not worthy to be his father's son anymore. And he realizes that even his father's servants are better off than him. So he realizes that his only option in life is to return to his father, tail between his legs, to repent and ask to become a servant in his father's house. He's resigned his heart to this, not expecting anything else to happen. But the father, it says, he's waiting and watching, waiting and watching for the return of his much-loved son. And the scriptures say, as we read, that while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. That means he recognized his son, the way he walked, his gait. Just, he knew it was his son. And while his son was still a long way off, the father ran, ran with, filled with love and compassion towards him, embraced him and kissed him. The son gives his well-rehearsed speech to his father. I'm sorry, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy of being called your son. And you know, the father doesn't even respond in words. Not, he calls his servants to do something, but he doesn't even respond in words to his son. He responds with a demonstration of love and acceptance and honor. He places the finest robe in the household around his shoulders, which speaks of the father's authority And he places a ring on his finger, which speaks of family identity. And he puts sandals on his feet, which represent peace. And then the father goes and throws a massive party for this son that's come home. And everything that the son went out to seek on his own, in his own way, was available right there, all all along in his father's house. Isn't that amazing? Everything, he went outside of what he knew 
to look for something that was actually with him the whole time in his father's house. So meanwhile, the elder brother, he's been dutifully serving his father, constantly present, performing his role. And in anger says to him, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money. And you celebrate by killing the fatted calf, by throwing this massive party for him and putting your authority around him and your identity on him. I don't get it. And although the eldest son lived in his father's house, his words reveal his heart, the positioning of his heart. And they actually speak of an orphan spirit. And this orphan spirit is one of jealousy and insecurity. It's about striving to earn the father's love through accomplishment. And the eldest son even says that he's slaved for his father. The father's response to this, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. Both sons had the father and his house available to them. The youngest went out to find what he wanted outside of it, and the oldest had access to it the whole time, but didn't position his heart to receive it. Galatians 4 verse 7 says, Now, this is talking about us, Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Romans 8.15 says, So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit. When he adopted you as his own children, now we call him Abba, Father, Daddy, God. So what's the difference between slaves and sons? And when I say sons, I mean daughters as well. So don't count yourself out if you're female. It's so we're sons and daughters. So slaves are driven by duty, but sons are driven by devotion. Slaves do things because they have to. Sons do things because they get to, because they can. They've been given permission Slaves are poor, sons are rich, because they inherit the wealth of their father. Slaves have a master, sons and daughters have a father. And religion creates slaves, but our relationship with the good father creates sons and daughters. And as I was thinking about this parable, just God dropped into my thinking about, um, into my remembrance, about Mary and Martha in the Bible. You might not know about them, but they... Um, were sisters of a guy called Lazarus that Jesus actually raised from the dead. And one day, Jesus went over to their house for a meal. You can find this story in Luke 10, and starting from verse 38. And it says that Mary sat at Jesus' feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. And she comes to Jesus, all hot and bothered and flustered, and says, Lord, Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Jesus responds with this. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it won't be taken away from her. And this Mary who's sitting at Jesus' feet is the same Mary that later on in Luke, sorry, in John chapter 12, anoints Jesus' feet. So she's sat in the same place and anoints Jesus' feet later on. And she physically positions herself in close proximity to Jesus at his feet to listen to, to connect with, and submit to his teaching. 
And that reflects, her physical positioning reflects the position of her heart, of what's going on inside. And Martha reminds me of the eldest son in the parable that we read earlier. And you can just imagine her flitting about, hot under the collar, making sure everything's just so, working under pressure, striving to be the best, making a point of how hard she's serving, wanting to be noticed and to be thanked for all that she's doing, slaving away and trying to earn love and recognition. And I'll be honest with you, I've had a fair few Martha moments in my life. Maybe you have too, maybe you can relate to that. But my heart longs to be like Mary's, positioned in close proximity to the Father, close enough to hear his heartbeat, to the whisper of his voice, to be close enough to embrace him and for him to embrace me, and to be close enough to know and submit to his will. And only when we become true sons and daughters then can we become true fathers and mothers in God's kingdom. And we can only become true sons and daughters if we have the right perspective and the right relationship with God, with our good father. The problem, the greatest problem in our world stems from one thing. People are orphans. They're disconnected and they're separated from their father. They don't even know they have a perfect, good and loving daddy God. And even if they believe in God, They might not have that relationship with him and they might not understand the access they have to the father and all of his household, all of heaven. When we step into true sonship, just as Jesus did, we're able to reveal the good father and we're able to have that access that I was just talking about. Jesus' sole purpose on earth was to reveal the father. It says that in the word. Um, I've got a few scriptures here just to read. So John 14, 9 to 11. This is Jesus speaking. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him? Don't you believe that I am the Father? I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And John, later on in John 17, 24 to 25, it says, O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them and will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. And Hebrews 1, 3 says, The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. So as, a, as disciples of Jesus, we are called, it's our mandate to carry Jesus into the world, to reveal the Father. To reveal to the Father a world that's cursed with sonlessness and daughterlessness, fatherlessness and motherlessness. We must reveal the love of our good Father, his goodness, his grace and his mercy, his power and his authority And what it means to be part of his family. There are three sons, really, in the parable of the um, extravagant father in Luke 15. There's the son that goes away. There's the eldest son who remains at home. And there's the son that returns and realizes, firstly, who his father really is. And then who that makes him. So I want to ask us, which one are we like? Which one do we most identify with? Have we wandered away from our good father, trying to do things our own way, in our own strength, seeking our identity out in the world? 
Or are we like the elder son who works dutifully for the father, in close proximity physically, but living with an orphan spirit, not understanding that he has full access to everything his father has? Are we jealous when things go well for our brothers and sisters? Do we resent other people's blessings and successes? Do we try and outdo or compete against each other, trying to prove how great we are? Do we toil and sweat just to get noticed, hoping to gain people's approval and a sense of value and worth? Or are we like the son who returns to the father, who realises the mistakes he has made and turns his heart towards repentance, turns his heart back to the father, the good father, who realises that the best place to be is in his father's house, whose desire is to come back into that full relationship with his father. I just want to allow time for us each to respond to the good father in heaven, to our good father. We know in our hearts, in the depths of our hearts, which son we identify with, and so does he. And I want us to take time to position our hearts close to the father to repent from whatever has been separating us from him. And it might be that you need to do a full 180 degree turn around and come back to him. I read a quote the other day that said, the best journey always leads us home. The best journey always leads us back to our good father, to to home, that's where home is. So, you know, God is calling you home today. Whether you're a few minutes away Whether you're a few hours away or whether you're across the other side of the world, he's calling you home. If you find that you're like Mary and you're at God's feet already, then just worship and praise him. Listen for his heartbeat for those in our community that are fatherless and motherless. And I just want to play that song, guys, that I've given you at the back. And just allow, just want to ask you, Holy Spirit, as this song's played, would you work in our hearts Would you show us where we really are in proximity to you? God, would you you draw us by your amazing and wonderful love and mercy? Lord God, this morning, Father, we want to come home to you. We want to be close to you. Just allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart. Thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard a tender whisper Lord, in the dead of night. You tell me that you're pleased and that I never. Thank you.
In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.